You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we are in this season of prayer here at Thrive, we just ask for your spirit to uh, be fully present here this morning as we know you want to be to soften our hearts to your word and your will, to your ways in our lives, that you would speak to us personally, Lord, today. We thank you for so many in our community, so many other churches that are sharing your word of truth, your gospel, and we pray, Lord, it would move powerfully among all who are hearing today, and that you would begin a movement here in Estero, a movement here in Southwest Florida, where your spirit has his way with each of us, and you, Lord, have your kingdom extend in our hearts and lives through all the relationships in our lives. So bless the word today and in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. You can follow along in this sermon with the notes on the U version of the Bible that are available under events, and you can look up on the screen how to do that. We're going to be in, starting out in Romans chapter 6 today, a huge section of scripture, but I think it's a very important one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That word is megeneto, like no way, Hosea. Okay. Just to let you know. I know. Pretty lame. Okay. Um, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Wow. Week three already. So the first week, a couple weeks ago, we went through that myth, that cultural myth, as we are doing each time, where people really think God said, but he never really said, all God wants you to do is be happy. And we said, he never said that. He has so much more than happiness for you. Last week, we went through one that people think is actually in the Bible, okay, in some form that God won't give you more than you can handle, He never said that. The truth is, God won't give you more than God can handle. We rely on him always. Next week's actually maybe the most important week of all, and it's one where we're going to kind of look at this myth uh, that people say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. And you might know some people next week that um, are really kind of questioning. They're doubting. They're not quite sure what to make 
of what to believe in or how to believe in, and it would be a fantastic week for you to invite them because I think it's going to be a great, I know I'm kind of you know, hyping my own message. I know that's kind of bad, but, you know, but it, I think, would be a great week to deal with that and also an encouragement for you, too, because I think there's a lot of confusion out there of what we can believe, how we can believe, how do we know, what do we, all that stuff. And we're going to deal with that next week. But today, as you saw that video before, kind of the humor of it all, a lot of people will use kind of, I think, more of an excuse. And, well, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody. Really? That's it? God only wants you to be benign. You know what I mean? Don't hurt anybody and that's fine. That's all it takes, you know? Just be neutral. Be kind of like, hmm. It reminds me of what's been called the silver rule. Have you ever heard that one before? This is the way Confucius said it. Many others have said it. And the silver rule is what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. And so that's, you know, it's a good way to live. Don't do anything to others you wouldn't want done to you. Great, don't harm anybody. The Hippocratic Oath says much the same thing. I don't know if you've ever read that or been a part of it. I'm glad it's there. The Hippocratic Oath said, I will abstain from intentional wrongdoing and harm, especially from abusing the bodies of man or woman, bond or free. Well, that's great. I'm glad. The medical profession, when I go in, no harm, please, right? No harm. Pain, yes, no harm. <laughs> I understand. Um, but is that enough? Is that really enough? Is that all your, you're just kind of neutral, benign? I know, we think good neighbors are those, you know, good neighbors are those that drive home into their driveway, the garage door closes, they stay in their backyard behind the fence, you only see them occasionally at the mailbox, you wave at each other and say hi, and uh, they keep their yard very clean and they most important, they stay out of your business. And you don't even know their names. How many people, I, you can think, I don't know, this is a little embarrassing, but how many of you have neighbors you don't even know their names? Yeah, I know. Is that really good enough? Is that all there is? Jesus actually said something. It's called the golden rule. Okay, And this is the way he said it in Matthew 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, to do something positive. So it's not just about not harming anyone, nothing's hurting anyone, I'm good. What benefit are you to anyone? What good are you doing for anyone? How are you blessing them? How are you encouraging them? How are you serving them? What difference are you making in the lives of others? And all of a sudden, that little conversation that happened in that video changes just a bit. Instead of saying, hey, I'm not hurting anybody, and that's kind of the low end of the scale, it's like, how are you helping anybody by doing what you're doing? What benefit is this for anyone, how you're living that way? Because honestly, I don't know if I've ever used that excuse. I probably have. I'm sure I have, you know? But uh, it's really an excuse. It's, hey, it's not hurting anybody. I want to get away. You know, it's basically, I want to do what I want to do. And, hey, at least I'm not hurting anybody. Kind of the low ball in it. And, and uh, I think in the end, 
It's more of a way of saying, hey, I'm not really that bad of a person. At least I'm not hurting people like we know people are. And so I'm comparing myself right away with those who might do that. So overall, I'm kind of a good person. You know, this isn't a new rationalization at all. This has been around for thousands of years. It might be popular today, but it was also popular at the time of the early church and in a place called Corinth, which was kind of the center of, well, trade and commerce and all sorts of eclectic things going on. Um, Corinth is actually, I've been there. In 1987, I went there, and it's on an isthmus, I can hardly say that word, isthmus, between the Peloponnesus Anybody know what that is in Greece? That's the area where, you know, Athens and all this. And the main kind of peninsula is this little area. And what happened is ships came in one side over by the Turkey area, the Aegean Sea, and, and they would go out the other way. And, it was, and they'd carry all the stuff across this 10 miles of land so that it was a great trade route and everything was happening. Everything was happening in Corinth. Let me tell you, it makes Vegas and New Orleans and everywhere else that you can think of, Amsterdam, whatever, you just throw it all together and it's called Corinth. And so the Christians in Corinth even kind of said, hey, we've got freedom in Christ. And they used that as their kind of banner to do whatever they wanted as long as they didn't hurt anybody. So this is what Paul says to them. All things are lawful for me. That's what they said. And Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And that's Paul's point about sin. It's not, sin is not just this, oops, I got a little spot on my clothing. I better take it out to the dry cleaners, get the spot removed. Okay, everything's good. Sin is a power. It's a dominating force in the lives of us. And if you don't believe that, what Paul says here, that he doesn't want to be dominated by anything, just try this experiment starting right now. Stop. Just stop sinning. Try it. You're going to be totally patient today, right? Absolutely. No word is coming off your tongue that could be cutting or divisive or whatever. No four-letter blessings in traffic around here right now. You're going to be totally understanding. You're going to be totally loving. You're going to be totally, you know, just think about how long is that going to last? Just try it for a while. See how well you do. We are dominated by. In fact, Jesus says much the same. He says this in John 8. He's meeting with all of the um, Jewish leaders who want to say that they were in charge and they were on top of it. And no, they, they were able to kind of say not to this, no to this, and they were keeping all the rules. And he says, not really, because he says in John 8, 34, truly I say to you, whoever, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. We're controlled by it. We do things we don't want to do. We can't stop. It takes over. And just when I try to say, hey, I'm not that bad, it's just another cover-up. And just when I say, hey, it's at least not hurting anyone, you know, it's just another way of trying to minimize and trying to get away from and not really deal with the reality of it. You know, it just shows that I'm really kind of addicted to sin. I'm a selfaholic. Have you ever heard of that one before? That's me. I'm the center of my own little universe and I want to be in charge. I know, this is kind of tough. Well, but... 
hey, it, I haven't, you know, hurt any. Who says who you haven't hurt anyone? Just like in that video, hey, she'll never find out. It's not going to hurt anybody. You tell me. Says who if you're, you know, just viewing a little pornography, if that, that's not hurting anyone. Do you realize how you are objectifying how you are treating a person as an object for your pleasure. And if that doesn't translate in how you see everyone in this world, including yourself, if you wonder if it's not hurting anyone, just ask your spouse or ask your you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever if it's not hurting anyone, or your family members, and they might tell you differently. Or, hey, you know, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just trying a little illicit drugs here and there. Have you realized how that impacts just the whole economy and what you're actually supporting and what's happening and how you're damaging yourself and impairing your own judgment and what good you're not able to do because you're just gorked out or whatever? Do you understand? It's impossible, actually, to have that phrase, hey, it might be wrong, but I'm not hurting anyone. That happens every time sin comes into my life. It doesn't just have a neutral, Switzerland-like stance in my life. Oh, you might say, okay, yeah. You know, we got to get this right about sin because it's not just... It's not like breaking an arbitrary rule or an abstract idea. It's not even about breaking a command of God, per se. Do you realize you don't really break God's commands? You are broken against God's commands? They're fine. I'm not. It's kind of like defying the law of gravity, okay? I, I can deny it and, and try to change it and, you know, and live as if it doesn't. And you know how often I'll get hurt? Or I try to encourage others to defy the law of gravity because, hey, it shouldn't be that way. I should be able to do whatever I want, and it still hurts. You know, I do not break God's command. I actually break his heart. And I break my relationship with God. That's what sin does. So, yeah, you might go, okay, yeah, I know I've done that, but hey, at least I'm not a murderer, a mobster, a dictator. We have those in this world. And, and this rationalization I understand because um, I do not want to fall into that phrase, and I've used, oh, all sin is the same. Because, yeah, all sin can be in one sense seen as the same because any unforgiven sin can lead to eternal death. Um, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin, any sin, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And every sin, no matter how big or small, we're not, every sin can be forgiven. It's not the size of the sin that's the issue. But at the same time, there are sins that are more damaging than others. It's not just all the same. My little white lie isn't quite the same as, you know. For instance, if you're an intern here, and I'm not picking on any interns here before either, okay? But if you're an intern here and, you know, you get into the sin of gluttony, you know, just, I'm going to eat the whole cake and all that stuff, just eating more than you need, you could still be an intern here probably, right? But if you decide to be an intern here and you start smoking dope with the high school students, you won't be an intern here. You might work in Colorado. 
but not here. You know, that's kind of the way it is. And you, we agree there are different personal, relational, temporal consequences for different sins. Well, Paul says that as well to these specific Corinthians who thought, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want, you know, everything's lawful for me. But he says not everything's beneficial. And right after that, he brings up this in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, per a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Other sins you can fight against. Other sins you can resist. But for this one, he says, run. Flee. Don't even go there. Because it's not something that just damages the exterior or the mind, but your whole self. And it becomes such an identity issue for you and for others. And you hurt others. You hurt yourself. You start being identified with this. And it just gets so pernicious and caught up, it's hard to get away. Doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody. God never said that. So in Romans 6, we looked at this, the first verse that we looked at today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin live in it? He says, look, you're not there anymore. You have received God's grace. You've actually been put to death and raised to life. Don't keep going. And I know people, hey, I already did it once. Why not just keep doing it? You know, what damage? The damage is already done, right? That'd be kind of like, you know, somebody shoplifted. Oh, I shoplifted, but might as well keep doing it because I did it once. It doesn't work that way. Paul's saying there's a before and there's an after. And in Romans 6, the power that's there is the fact that God's grace has become effective in your life and you have been united with Jesus Christ in your baptism. God did something there where he made your identity Jesus himself. That you are united with him in baptism. You are buried with him in baptism. You rose again to a new life in your baptism. So now live in that new life. Why would you want to go back to what would damage or harm you and harm others. Why not move forward? Why would you go back to just care about the minimum you could do? Why not go forward into the golden rule, the maximum you can do, how you can benefit other people? Now, some people were, it appears in Romans, were actually accusing Paul of, you know, kind of having a flippant attitude towards sin, actually, because, I mean, hey, he talked about grace all the time, and like Phil mentioned, we preach grace here a lot. We do, and we won't stop because it is so good and exactly what God wants, you know? But it isn't a license. Hey, I could do whatever I want now, as a Corinthians thought. And so he says, hey, you don't understand grace at all if you think that's what it's about. You can't sin more to get more grace. Because grace is not about how, it doesn't just cover 
this little bit of your life called sin, it covers everything. It is completely magnanimous and beyond all. It is so overwhelming when you understand God's grace and the fact that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, that there is nothing that you can do to get more forgiveness than you already got. Then you start wanting to do what is pleasing to him, not to gain his favor, but to just keep celebrating in his favor. When you understand grace is everything, then why would you want to ever go back to that life that's harmful? No way, Paul says. Make geneto. You'll begin to realize just how harmful sin is and that it's never a good thing, no matter the size. You were dead and buried. You were raised to new life. You have a new identity. Live in that. And celebrate the fact that that's where you're at. Okay, now, the last thing I want to do is stand up here and say, I've got my act together. <laughs> you know, I don't think Christians are really saying that, and that's not what Paul is saying. Hey, now I've gotten to the point where I'm not sinning anymore. Yeah, of course. Every day I could. I just said that. You just try stopping. I can't stop, right? No, that's not what it's really about. It's living in that daily cycle, if you want to say it, the daily presence of, I am new in Christ, I'm a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come, the new identity, and keep living into it. You know, because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize the darkness within. The more you see his light, the light of his love, the more you see the darkness of your selfishness. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity to think, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm above it all. It's actually a sign of spiritual maturity that you are more sensitive than ever to the things that you do or don't do and how you aren't living up. It's called repentance. 500 years ago this year, so in 1517, there was a man who started the Reformation. He didn't think he was doing it at the time. He was, going to, he was frustrated with what he saw going on in Christianity. And so he posted on October 31st of all days, he nailed to the door in uh, this one church these 95 different points he wanted to make and say, hey, this is what it's about. And I think this first point, Martin Luther, when he wrote it, the first of the 95 theses is talking about this. And he said this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. That's what we're talking about. Every day is a day where we let go of our past and we receive the grace of God. Romans 6 is saying, hey, that's gone. Every day is a new day to receive. So I don't want you to go around feeling horribly guilty, beating yourself up. That's not what repentance is here really about. 
What I notice in myself, and I think what I notice this whole myth of it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anybody, is just another excuse. It's another way of kind of trying to be in control of my life, trying to kind of step away from my need, trying to justify myself, trying to make it seem like I'm okay, trying to shift the blame, trying to deny my real problem that I can't stop sinning and I'm a slave to sin as if I don't need Jesus. And every day, I confess again and again, Lord, I need you. I need you. It's all about you. We so often try to justify ourselves and minimize and do all these things when God is the one who so wants to justify us, so wants to forgive us, so wants to renew us, and he's the only one qualified to do it, right? He paid the cost. He paid the price for all sins, both great and small, no matter the size, no matter the consequences. You know, the sin that was placed on him on that cross, and that's what Romans 6 says, he died to it once and for all. He did it completely for you so that he became enslaved to our sins and died so that we would be free. And at the cross, you get to see what sin is and what sin does. You know what sin is? It's a separation and a defiance of God. And we see that and what it does to Jesus. He is separated from the Father and he cries out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He does that for you so you will never be separated from him. But we see what sin really is. It is a cutoff. It's a break in the relationship. And we see what sin does. It kills and it kills quickly. Pontius Pilate was told that Jesus had died and he goes like, what, already? You can read it in the Gospels. He's shocked how quick it happened. I'm not, because the sin of the whole world was on him. It wasn't just physical torture he was going under, like others. It killed him, and it killed him quickly. And yet, that, through that, frees us. Last week, we had talked about this verse that a lot of people think, you know, um, where they get that myth, you know, that God never gives you more than you can handle. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this is what it says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And what I want you to understand is... No matter how trapped you feel, no matter how down you are, no matter how struggling you are, it doesn't matter, there is a way. God always provides a way. And the way, the truth, the life is Jesus. And he comes into that to free you, to give you a, re a way of escape, to be there for you, to free you completely. You are not, you do not need to ever be in, stuck and enslaved in sin or dominated by it because Jesus is the way and he's the one that frees you. That's how good and your faithful God is. When Jesus said, you know, we're a slave to sin, whoever does it, he kept going. He talked about the good news of what he has to offer in John chapter 8. He said this, 
Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You're free. Repentance is a response to the freedom God gives us, the way, the only way out. Repentance is the daily saying, no, that was yes to Jesus. Repentance is the way to see that we don't need to do the minimum, the silver rule, but we can live into the maximum, the golden rule of doing for others, being beneficial to others, serving others, blessing others. As our mission statement says that Thrive Community Church is here to bless and disciple people. You know, to actually be saying, follow me as I'm following Jesus. I need him every day. He's, that's all I've got. So that's your new status. That's who your God is. The son, he sets you free. Let's pray about this. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit, I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. I pray in advance, Lord, for those who might have been touched in one form or another by this message, that have felt maybe even for months that they've been trapped, they can't stop, that they don't know what to do. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and you provide the way out, that your son who sets us free so that we can be free indeed. I thank you, Lord, that the closer we get to you, the more we realize the darkness inside of us, but the more we realize you're the light of your love. So, Lord, for us who are followers today, may your spirit show us any area that we're still trapped in. Lord, show us those areas right now that we could confess them before you, that we can glorify you in the way we live. Not to win your favor, we've already got that. Not to gain more forgiveness, we already have that. Not to increase grace, it's already unlimited. But right now, Lord, we lift to you all those areas in our lives that need your freedom, where you need to put to death and raise to life, that we need to remember our baptism and our identity and whose we are and whom we live. At this time, if there are people here who kind of recognize that need to be forgiven and free, whatever it is, as you've got your eyes closed at this moment, I just pray You know, just as a sign to your Lord, as a sign to yourself, really. If there's something that's been bothering you that you're burdened by, it's not a sign of weakness when you recognize your sinfulness, but it's actually a sign of strength. So if you just raise your hand to your side and say, yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness to free me from this, and I've got my hand raised myself. Thank you, Lord. You got many people here that desire to follow you, to have more of you, to understand your grace more deeply. How we've broken your heart, not your laws. How we've been broken in the process. Forgive us, Lord, and renew us. Free us this day. Let us live in the power of the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ. All this we pray, Lord, 
And we're going to pray together. So please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I need a Savior. Make us brand new. Fill us with your Spirit so we can know you, so we can trust you, so we can live for you, so we can bless others, so we can serve others, so we can do good, so we can show your kingdom. Our life is not our own. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.